Hey everyone, Woach here. Remember to tune in to The Last Dance, a behind-the-scenes look at the Chicago Bulls dynasty of the 90s. The series continues this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby immediately following the broadcast, which is presented by State Farm and brought to you by AT&T. You can find Jalen and Jacoby wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, when it comes to insurance, State Farm has all the makings of a top-tier player. First, they make it look easy. Manage your coverage, pay your bill, and even file a claim from the palm of your hand with the State Farm mobile app, which has just been awarded Best Insurance Mobile App 2019. And like a great teammate, they know your tendencies. State Farm agents are local, so they'll help you choose coverage that fits your needs. State Farm is always there to coach you through it with the answers you need when you need them. When you want the real deal, go with State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. And it's an all-star cast here of two all-stars, certainly. Adam Schefter, Jeff Passan, our NFL and MLB insiders to... New York Times best-selling authors to three with you. Well, th- thanks for that. Thanks for that. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna add that to my I'm gonna add that to my Twitter profile. Uh, uh, and and two great friends, two great friends, and and we uh, three of us talk a lot as the year goes on. I think even more so now as we're all trying to navigate how we're covering our sports, uh, how we're living in this world, and. Uh, the, the changes that are coming, but I, I think more than ever, both Jeff, Adam, that we have a lot more in common in trying to cover something that is unlike anything we've covered. And I think Adam's had a little more of a normal run here because the NFL had their free agency. They had a draft that went off as well as I think any of them could have imagined. But now the NFL kind of comes to that place where baseball is, where the NBA is, which is now what is the run-up to trying – the NFL is trying to start a season, baseball is trying to start a season, the NBA is trying to finish one. And now I think all three leagues are kind of aligned in how do we get back on the court, the field, and that's what's next, and that's where we are right now. Well, Woj, I would say this, that football has had a new collective bargaining agreement, free agency, trades, signings, draft process, draft. So there's been actual football news. The rhythm of the sport has gone on intermixed with updates of, yes, we don't know when a season will begin. Yes, the schedule will be released. Like, by the way, next week the NFL will release its schedule. And I don't know how the league is going to do that, but it's going to. And so that will make it seem like it's business as usual, normal, things are just functioning. Oh, the schedule. Look, the league is kicking off in September, September 10th, Thursday. And maybe it is, but maybe it's not. We don't know. But the league has just carried on. And because of that, there will continue to be leagues that or teams that just do business as usual. Team will sign a running back. Team will make a trade. Uh, A player will be arrested. A contract extension will get done. There'll be things that happen the way that they normally do because the offseason is in its full rhythm. But inevitably, none of that matters. None of that matters compared to the question of whether there will be games in September, whether training camp will start on time in late July. And I don't know that we have the answer to that. It's hard to imagine that training camp just starts 
business as normal, as usual, go to camp in late July. Like, that's hard to imagine. Now, maybe they get there. I hope they get there. But considering where we are in late April, early May, that that's it just it just seems like it's a lot. And, and it's it's so interesting, Adam, to hear you talking about these very normal things that are happening in your sport, because it has been the antithesis of normal for covering baseball. You know, I, I should have been at opening day uh, down in Houston on March 26th hearing Astros fans give the most rousing ovation possible. And I should have been a week later in Oakland where Mike Fires might have been pitching against the Astros. And that would have been incredibly awkward. And I should be writing about Mike Trout and all of these other things that are part of the normal rhythms of my season. And instead, there is no baseball. We don't know when there's going to be baseball. The issue of when there's going to be baseball is is the one that's really uh, the, the the entire focus of the sport right now. And so to to see just because of the calendar, the different machinations that are going on in each sport. And Woj, I think you because you're at the at, moving toward the end of your season, it, it's even different for you. Like, are we going to finish what we actually started? That's right. I, I had a GM say to me, I don't know, yesterday, could have been two weeks ago. I lose track of time. I believe it was yesterday. Could have been a month ago. Uh, that it's it almost feels anymore like this is not the continuation of a season, that whatever the NBA comes back to is something new, that you play 75% of your schedule and then you take maybe three months off before they could potentially play again, three and a half months, whatever it is. And you come back and guys are in shape. They're not in shape. You got this, what, whatever the tr- training camp would be, it's probably not going to be as much as anybody wants. It'll be the minimum they can squeeze in. And then you're going to play what? A few regular season games, a truncated playoff schedule. Do they do a play-in tournament? Do they do an NCAA-style one and done? Because that's all they can do. Uh, would that even be would, – would a scenario like that even crown a legitimate champion? You could have anybody win that. Does that make you the NBA champion? And I'm not saying that's in the mix. I'm saying they're talking about everything. And it, it's different than baseball where it's uh, – you, you're going to try to get through what will probably be – it's probably not going to be 162 games. Uh, but with the NBA, it's it's the legitimacy of finishing a season, and that's um, very different. And, and football's got a little more time here as a walk up. But I I think that the biggest playing again is eventually these sports are going to play again. They're going to find an environment in which uh, a closed environment that they can play again. What I'm most curious about, and I think what they're all, I think all the leagues are most unnerved about is the idea of how long are we going to have to go without fans in stadiums or a very limited number of fans in stadiums and in arenas. And what is that going to do to the economic models of these leagues? And that that's, what's going to change everything. I had a baseball owner. Sorry, Jeff. I had a baseball owner. I know how you roll, Shefty. It's okay. Yeah. I had a, I had a baseball owner that I was on the phone with and he was telling me that basically baseball owner, a baseball owner I was on the phone with. Can I, can I interrupt Adam real quick here? Yeah. So 
That's okay. The that, first that's okay. Time. Jeff was the guy that tipped me off to Gronk being traded to Tampa. So that's how we were. The, the first time I ever had dinner with Schefter, he is texting with an all-star. I'm not going to say the name of the player. You can say it if you want, Adam. You were texting with, with an all-star NBA player about his fantasy football team. And I'm like, I'm not texting with any players right now. I'm definitely not texting with Tom Brady or Jared Goff. Or, and, and, and I just felt he, he just makes you feel – Small. Oh, please. Moments. But go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. no. That, but that's go okay. Ahead. You're Listen. talking to a. Uh, go ahead. You're talking yeah, to a baseball you're, owner. You're encroaching on my territory. You're making me feel small. And then an Olympic gold medalist in the afternoon, probably right. <laughs> but, uh, who else? Yeah, I got. I got to. I got to break the news to uh, 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 Maria Taylor that uh, that me and Sue Bird are going to be uh, exchanging messages. No, no. <laughs> um, you know, I was talking to this baseball owner and. He was saying to me, he goes, you have no idea how much money is just gone, just gone. It just vanished and it's never coming back. And I think that that's true for baseball and basketball and hockey and society at large. Forget about just sports. There are people in the restaurant business. There are people in any line of work. There's money that they would have made in March, in April, in May. They're never going to make that. Okay, I mean that's the way it goes. Our company, ESPN, how much money is it lost from Disney? So, I mean, there's nobody that has been untouched by this. And I've said this to a bunch of NFL people that I've spoken to. I said over the next year, over the next calendar year, I believe that there'll be very few people who make a hundred cents on a dollar. Coaches, players, front office. I know a lot A lot of times players might think they're immune to this, but what if there are no fans this year in the NFL? What if there are limited fans in the NFL? I've had these discussions with people, football owners, other people. If there are no fans in the stands for NFL games, each team could possibly lose about $100 million times 32, $3.2 billion. And when you're factoring the NFL salary cap for the 2021 season, the salary cap could drop anywhere from 40, 50, 60 million dollars per team. And so that, that's going to happen in all these sports if there's no fans, right? Less revenue, less revenue to give out to the players. I mean, the, the owners are not going to absorb all these losses. That's not, everybody's going to share in this. That's what's going to happen. And we'll wait to see the fallout of it. But I could tell you, it's going to be vast. It's going to be unprecedented. It's going to be something that we've never seen before. And that's just the way it's going to be moving and, forward. And I, w- I was talking with an owner in baseball as well, Adam. So I, good. I'm, I'm glad. That's good. Might have been the same guy. Don't know. <laughs> uh, and 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 this was this was actually a couple weeks ago. And in the concern that he has is is short term. Obviously, there there are huge financial concerns short term, but but the longer term one that he has is whether this is going to change sports for a year, change sports for five years, change sports for 10, change sports forever. Are we as a society going to be far less likely to go into a place where there are 40,000 or in your case, 80,000 strangers gathering around us, people who we have no idea where they've been, how careful they've been, whether they've been sick and they're just trying to soldier right through it. 
are we going to put ourselves at risk or are we as a society just going to be much more careful and parochial and be around the people who we know and trust already? And what's that going to do to spectator sports? Hey, last night I'm watching Real Sports and Brian Gumbel's doing a conversation with Mike Breen and Joe Buck and Jim Nance. And I don't remember which one said it, but I was like, whoa. And they were talking about the fact that they could see in the future they're broadcasting games from a studio somewhere, watching the game, not at the actual event. And I thought, whoa. And I thought, I don't know why that caught me by surprise, but you know what? That that actually could happen. That wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, that that's already happening. Now that's more that's ha- that started to happen more for uh it's more cost effective. Financial reasons. Right? Absolutely. Co- college football, yep. do you have to send someone to every um, you know, remote college town somewhere and, and the cost of sending someone when they can do it in studio. We see international baseball tournaments, international basketball tournaments. They're doing those from a studio in Bristol or at the NBA entertainment that, but you're right. That's going to be a part of this. It, it's, but, but that's the start of it was what about all the people that work from home that found that they could be productive? What about the NFL draft that just happened that all the people said, you know what? That went off without a glitch, and we got to look at their home life, and people love that. And what about all the people now that will look at their work schedules and not want to be in an office where they're crowded around a lot of people? And so, again, it it just – you can't even process where this is all going. You can't do that because it's so vast. I mean, isn't it just weird for us? Like, we don't need to be in Bristol right now. We can be sitting at our houses having this conversation – we can go on Sports Center by moving into our studio and firing the iPad or the camera or whatever it is that we have. And uh, there we are, blasted out to the world just the same, saying the same thing uh, just from the convenience of our homes. And See, this, is not, not, this is not that new to me. I've been doing this for <laughs> I've been doing this for at ESPN for 11 years. And I mean that I'm, I'm being honest, like I've done this, you know. But what happens is usually every week at one point, I'll go to Bristol for a couple of days or Sunday, I'll go there for a couple of But this has been one continuous stretch of two months at home, which my wife just loves. <laughs> yeah, how's that working out for her? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, why did you, whose idea was it to give up the fact that your background was like a high school map, you know, a pull up and pull down, you ruined you ruin the idea that we have these big, spacious, like in my case, this big brown oak yeah, desk. Yeah, but Jeffy, don't you actually space. have like a big brown oak desk? No, I have a small little paneled wood desk. In fact, my wife said to me yesterday, she goes, I think we need to kind of do over your office. I'm like, just leave my own. I don't care. Like, I'm not, I'm not spending any money on my own. Like, you are like, you are this is fine. the home office, though. Like, you need to have the most you know, opulent built-in bookshelf, disco it's ball. built-in bookshelf, the bookshelf. Explain to me with the football helmets. Your, your helmets will change. There's always a Michigan one there. Yeah. But the the NF, there's always two NFL helmets. What's the measure of whose helmet is sitting there? Because that does change. I've never asked you that. I, 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 well, I always do. I always try to do – well, in season, I will do the Monday night matchup. Oh. On network. Never caught that. Okay. So that if it's the Patriots and the Bills on Monday night football, uh, and I'm doing – in-season hits from home, it'll be the Monday night matchup. Uh, off-season, um, I will often do the teams that I'll be talking about that day or that are in the news. So, like, I had 
New England and Tampa Bay up there for the first week of free agency with Tom Brady. During the draft, I had up the Green Bay Packers and the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Saints when the James Winston news emerged for the ninth time. Um, and so wh- whatever is in the headlines, and it's funny because one of the teams called me, they're like, hey, can you put up our helmet in the background for the draft? And I said, well, yeah. I, I, said, I said, if you do something of note, yes, I will do that. I said, well, can we, can we make a trade here? Can we get rid of a player? Can we do something that's going to merit putting up your team's helmet? And uh, and so we came up with something. At one point, I put up their helmet. That is power, right there. By the way, when when the cl- when the clubs are calling you up and saying, "Get my helmet up there," and your response is, "Make a damn trade." That is just <laughs> that is the man at the peak of his powers. I love it. Now more than ever, we have to look out for each other and count on each other. Marathon wants you to know that you can count on them for high quality, top tier gas. Marathon gasolines are formulated with STP additives. They keep your vehicle running at peak performance by optimizing fuel economy, removing those ugly deposit buildups, and by reducing emissions. And right now, you can get five cents off every gallon every day with Make It Count Rewards from Marathon. Plus, you can earn points for additional savings on fuel, airfare, hotels, and more. This is definitely a deal you can count on. It's quick and easy to join. Just download the free Make It Count app or go to makeitcount.com slash radio and start saving today. The offer is valid only at participating Marathon stations. Remember, wherever you need to go, be safe. The people at Marathon are behind you all the way. Let me ask you guys this, and this is what I have found is the, the people that you – the people that you always are able to go to that you know when, when you want to really understand what's happening in your sport and who can put it in context and who can uh, sort of map it out over time for you, that mm-hmm. just go to people that, and you know that the commissioner may lean on and owners, they may be owners, they may be team presidents, et cetera. Yep. What do you find – the, the people that were always so certain about everything for you and you could sort of take it to the bank. You talk to that guy at one o'clock, you talk to somebody else at one thirty. How quickly does your head get turned right now about the way you process it? Yeah, I think that's where this is. And then, and then somebody else can just change your mind a half hour later that just nobody is sure about anything. Well, let me say this, that first of all, I haven't had to worry as much about that as you guys have because I've been in the middle of the draft. But I will say that, again, I, I, I've spoken to a football owner. Thank a God. football owner who, who told – I know. Who told me in no uncertain terms, no uncertainty is there will be football this season. And he said it just like there will be football this season. And then I refer back to that show that we're watching last night, not that those broadcasters know more than anybody else, but – you hear them say, we don't know that there'll be any games in 2020. And so, and then, and they said to think anything otherwise would not be practical. And so you've got Joe Buck saying that, and I've got my footballer telling me there will be games and, and you, you decide what you believe. That's what and, you're talking about, and, words, right? Yeah. And I don't even mean so much about whether they're going to play or not, because they don't know. Not the, they, they don't know because this virus and, 
Well, you know what I said? I said on the Adam Schefter podcast, if you'll allow me to plug that on, on a podcast much yeah, more popular than mine right now. I yeah, figure you've I, got I, a much bigger pop, listenership. I, I'm going to try to pull for some of your listeners here and pull them over to the Adam Schefter yeah. podcast. But on the Adam yeah, Schefter how, how, podcast, how's that going so far <laughs> Adam Schefter podcast this week, I said, and I mean this, growing up in school, I always loved sports and I never liked science. Never liked science. And now... I am so interested in science to the point where sports are rendered meaningless unless science comes through and saves sports. So science, again, has never meant more to me than it does now. And you can find those comments and more on the Adam Schefter podcast. This week. <laughs> What's great about baseball is that it is a very number centric sport. It, you know, I'm always, whether it's batting average, slugging percentage, ERA, digging into numbers. And, and there's a scientific bent to it that I think a, a lot has allowed me to go into some of these numbers coming out about coronavirus and try and do a little bit of analysis there. And, and to go beyond what people with vested interests are telling me, you know, of course, Owners are going to say, we want to be back. Of course, players are going to say, we want to be back because they are financially motivated to do so. That is the great driver here. We were talking about this earlier. We're going to continue talking about this. The money always matters. It is so clearly Woodward and Bernstein follow the money. And and when you follow the money in sports, we're looking at multi-billion dollar businesses that are in trouble financially if there are no games. We're looking at athletes who more than people recognize live paycheck to paycheck. And when those two dueling motivations come together, there is great incentive for games to be played. That's right. And and I think that there's so many constituencies here who have a hand in how this is going to play out. The commissioner, the owner, the general managers, the players' associations the television networks, and not everyone is going to be aligned on that. There are a lot of different motivations in all this. And I think the the hard part is the safety issue and teams trying to figure out and, and leagues trying to figure out uh, putting their players, putting their coaches. I mean, think, think for a moment, if you're the San Antonio Spurs, if you're the Houston Rockets, Greg Popovich, I don't know, he's 70 years old. Mike D'Antoni is almost 70. You have coaching staffs of those who are in the most vulnerable areas of this. Uh, Alvin Gentry in New Orleans is, is in his late 60s. And so if you want to go by the statistics, and people can say, well, these are young, strong, healthy players. And the, the numbers suggest these guys are going to be, even if they contract it, as several have in the NBA and uh, most of them didn't have significant symptoms, some more than others. But you have coaches in those areas. And we also know that this is not just a virus that is killing the elderly or those with pre-existing conditions. There are others who have lost their lives to this, m- many of whom. And uh, we're still, scientists are still understanding how this virus operates. And so I think this is going to be with us and and. This isn't a spring summer story. This is a story, you know, the CDC talks about that second wave coming in the winter, coinciding with flu season. And never mind having a team in a locker room, but the idea of fans and arenas 
uh, or fans in stadiums when there's a second wave. And if we're not taking care of this now, this country's not doing the testing, the, the contact tracing, all the things that science is telling you has to be done. We, we've been woefully behind in it. And this is a story, guys. I, I remember a distinct moment. Um, maybe about, I don't know, a week, 10 days before the Rudy Gobert, the, the night, the season, the night the NBA season ended essentially. And more and more, we knew what was happening in Europe. And I remember saying to Christina Douglas, our, our editor in the NBA, I remember when I said, I, ha- we haven't written a lot about it in context with the NBA, but as I was talking to everybody, I, 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 remember I said to her, I don't think I should be writing about anything else. But this, this is, this is all we're going to be talking about. And we weren't really talking about it a lot yet in content. It was like, well, we'll figure it out with sports and maybe, and, and I remember a, a team executive said, we are going to lose games to this. There's no question in my mind, we're going to lose games. I was like, oh, was that a week? Is that 10 days? Is that two weeks? And I, I remember being out in LA, the last game I was at, it was Lakers Clippers. Uh, it was an NBA, we had an NBA countdown show. Uh, I think Friday and Sunday, and it was a big Laker Clipper game on Sunday. And we did, we were at the arena and we did our, our studio show from on the court. And I remember that was, I saw Steve Ballmer there and Steve Ballmer was living in Seattle and they were already in the midst of this more so than any other part of the country. And I, I remember I went to shake his hand and he kind of gave me the elbow, you know, on the shirt, which was, and, and some others did as a guy, probably not a good idea to shake hands. And I remember we did our halftime or pregame thing. And I remember saying to myself, should I just get out of this arena and go back and watch this game across the street at my hotel? And I'm like, geez, it's Lakers Clippers. I want to see what it looks like down on the floor here. I, I want to see these guys. And I went and took my seat in the, in the press area and watched it there. But part of me was saying, maybe I should get out of this building right now. And, um, and I remember uh, Rob, Rob Palenka, the Lakers GM, and Rachel Nichols, we were standing before the game over on the court talking about that idea. And the three of us were standing there courtside just pregame. And now I look back and I'm like, what, were you insane? Were you insane to not just get out of there? Maybe I shouldn't even have gone over to tape the show. There's 20,000 people in here. And that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, you know, I saw the I saw the highlights of the fans leaving that arena. It was in Oklahoma City, right? When they that night was delayed. That was, night in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma was, City Jazz game when Rudy yeah. Gobert tested positive. Yeah, I remember. I remember waiting for that game to tip off. I remember there being a delay. I remember my fancy basketball team. I needed, you know, that was a big game for me that <laughs> night. And uh, and so when it happens, I saw the highlights of it. I'm thinking it, it, it's almost like the scene of a crime, uh, the scene of an incident that you never forget, and. Again, I, I just equate it because they're they're the biggest crises of our lifetime: nine eleven and COVID nineteen. Um, and when nine eleven, when that first plane hits you, like what what's going on here? And 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 you see people just kind of you see the highlights of people casually strolling out of the towers, and you're like, get out! And 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 I had a similar reaction seeing people leaving the arena that night when I see the highlight. I'm like, everyone's like, oh, what's going on here? There, you know, get out! Everybody, get out! Go, 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 go! Get home! Like. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable to think what we don't know at the time something so significant is unfolding right in front of our eyes. Woj, if that same scenario that you just laid out in LA were to happen today, 
let's say the NBA is back. Let's say we're in arenas. Let's say you're in LA. How different would it be right now? How, how would it be having a conversation with Rachel Nichols and Rob Polanka where you're standing in a six foot triangle? These are the sorts of things that we need to be cognizant of in how our lives are going to change. And when sports is coming back, it's the thing that players and getting back to your point about Greg Popovich and about Mike D'Antoni and about Alvin Gentry, players are going to need to be cognizant and respectful of the idea that there are others who are more vulnerable than them. The truth is, if you look at the math, you know, athletes, 20 to 40 year old, healthy men generally are not at great risk. And, and that's why I think there's a lot of comfort among the leagues in coming back because they're trying to look at risk, uh, as, as a reasonable thing that this is not a binary thing that if you, if you get it, it's te- no. I mean, we've seen lots of our friends who have, been infected with COVID-19 and have gotten through it. There are those outliers though. And those outliers are scary as hell. And those outliers, the size of the, the pool of people who can be infected keeps growing and growing as you get older and older. And, and protecting those people is going to be, to me, the most important part of sports coming back, whether it is the, the vulnerable coaches, the vulnerable groundskeepers in baseball, the, the, you know, the people working at hotels, whoever it may be, baseball, football, basketball, and every sport out there need to go out of their way to ensure that the best safety protocols are in place because the, the entire national spotlight, and rightfully so, is going to be on those sports. You know, you know what I find interesting also? You got baseball trying to do this. You got basketball trying to do this. You got hockey trying to do this. And football is now trying to do this. And there's something I, I take a little solace in the fact that when you put all these people together and everybody's trying to accomplish the same goal and there's so much money at stake, not millions, but billions, billions. I want to believe that these people who know how much is on the line for their own sport, for their own livelihood, for our society that all this brain power together, somebody has got to figure out something to make this all happen. Everybody's on the same team. I mean, that really is. I, I think there's also an important thing that we have to remember as, as time goes on. There are going to be a lot of screw ups here. I think every league is, I, I think every league at some point is going to screw up spectacularly and there is going to be a PR crisis and it's going to be a bad look and there are going to be skeptics saying, why did they come back? It, all of those things are going to happen. The first positive test that comes from an athlete or someone involved with one of these teams, there, there's going to be an outcry. Why are they back? Why are they taking tests? From, from people. Why are they doing this? Why are they? What if somebody gets fatally ill? What if somebody gets fatally I, ill? Again, it's, it's one of those things that they are going to, to have to deal with. And if somebody does die, uh, I mean, that I, I, it feels like that's the sort of thing that would shut the league down. Getting sick is one thing. When there's loss of life involved, the question's going to start being asked, is this worth it? And if the answer is yes, that looks awfully callous. And if the answer is no, then it gets shut down and we move on to 2021. And, and the ripple effect, I wonder 
Could it be the same as was when Rudy Gobert tested positive and everyone in the following 48 hours followed suit? It's it's a good point, Jeff, about the fact that a lot of mistakes will be made and there will be trial and error. And this is a time where people are afraid in public, mm-hmm. in leadership, to make mistakes or to admit mistakes because of the scrutiny that's there. And, you know, listen, even in these sports leagues, there's ego among the owners and the commissioner's offices. And you have to be willing, I think, in this to open yourself up to criticism. And I, I had an executive say to me the other day that uh, something to the effect that in crisis, it's really hard to lead by consensus and that you're going to have to make a lot of very, there's not going to be consensus in any of these sports on how to come back, when to come back, how they do it, what it looks like. The idea, and I think Jeff was talking about this, the best, what's the best of all these bad ideas? Cause they're not going to look like very good ideas. And um, I think that's going to be the measure here because you will be paralyzed. If you are afraid of getting criticized or making a mistake, now a mistake here could cost lives and the stakes, they couldn't be any higher, but, but it also can't paralyze leagues and teams once they are able to start moving toward playing again and people are going to have to be no no one likes to be criticized but there's going to be plenty of that going around and the leadership's going to have to have thick enough skin and and be confident enough in the data the science of of the process of making the decisions to be able to live with that criticism that's going to come with it and that's not easy in this age and let me say this it's much smaller level because it really wasn't a game and it's really something that's being done virtually, but when the NFL decided to have the draft, which I and countless others did not think it was a good idea, I cannot tell you how many coaches and general managers were calling me up and saying, what is the league doing? Like, this is insane, okay? And and Roger Goodell, to his credit, stood his ground and conducted the draft, and it went off well. It worked out very well. But uh, and, and it went off well to date, by the way, because we still don't know the full effects of it. And what I mean by that is yesterday I'm talking to an ESPN producer, and – he texts me. He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to quarantine." I'm like, "You're going to quarantine? What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, I was, I was at ESPN. I stayed in a hotel there for a few nights. I was around 150 coworkers, and I got home from the draft. My wife has a medical condition, so I'm going to the basement for 14 days. My family's not going to see me because basically I can't take that risk of having been exposed to anybody at ESPN while I was there covering the draft, and now go home and get my family sick. And so the fans see the draft go off." And again, and, and they don't realize that there are still effects. Like, what if somebody does get sick that was at ESPN? Then it wasn't a good idea to have the draft at that moment. Uh, but Roger Goodell did that, and it went off incredibly well over the weekend. It was incredibly well received. The public loved it. Uh, we'll still see the full effects of it. But again, uh, we've never been through anything like this before. I, I You know, I also think that we we need to as sports fans get used to the idea of not seeing what we're used to seeing it's going to be really discomforting to see a football game played with no fans you have this you know ambient noise in the background and you know you're at a stadium there's almost like this energy that radiates from a television screen when you know that they can cut to fans in the stands 
who are going to be dressed up like crazy and who are going to be five beers deep and who are just going to going to going to really bring the whole thing together. That may not be there at, at baseball games in the background, at basketball games. I mean, are you going to have music? You know, all of these things that we've grown used to as as sports fans and viewers, it's going to take some time to to almost orient ourselves in the middle of this very weird world where sports is going to be silent. This, these games we've, we've, we've grown so used to being inherently loud. It's just going to be almost silence. And, and I wonder how that translates to the casual fan who watches the NBA finals. They want to see Lakers, Bucks, LeBron, Giannis, whomever it is. And you want to see it's the environment. It's the, it's LeBron playing off the crowd. The diehard fan who has league pass and watches the games and follows a particular team, I think they're going to be there. But when you get into the postseason or you get to the World Series or you get to the AFC wildcard game or championship game and the environment doesn't have that and it looks like, like in a basketball context, if you ever watched the Orlando Summer League, the gym's empty, and it's the, the only people in the gym there will be uh, team executives who are there, some media, and somebody will make an incredible play, and there's no reaction. It's just silent. I wonder how that – does that casual fan who comes around for that tight window of time in the postseason, which drives ratings and revenue, and are they going to be turned on by that, or are they going to be like, eh, that's – I'm not – I'm not just a junkie who is studying the game and watching and, and I, I'm just here for the thrill of this moment of time and it's not going to be there. I do wonder how that translates into ratings and uh, viewership and, and people's interest in it. Like may, maybe I go watch Netflix. Yeah, I, I think there are else. two things to keep in mind here. Number one is uh, you can only watch Tiger King so many times. Like, honestly, having something new, having something fresh is nice. Um, number two, though, and I think this is as much incumbent on our company as any out there. I feel like TV needs to embrace the idea that this is going to feel different. This is going to look different. This needs to be different. The idea of of having all access, essentially, I'm not going to say that LeBron's going to be mic'd up during the game, but I really, really would love to know what LeBron James says to people on the court. And if we can have microphones that are going to be able to catch these things now, and whether it's in a timeout or coming out of a break or something like that, that can be put out there. This is going to give us potentially a perspective on the sport that as fans, I think we've always really dearly wanted and that the three of us get to see because we are on the sidelines, because we are close to these games. Like every time I'm down next to a dugout during the game, doing a broadcast, I just sit out there and look at it. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world. And I really wish everyone could see the game like this. And I think this is an opportunity literally for everyone to see the game like we get to see it. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action has acquired the secret to building a thicker, greener lawn. In return, they have taken all the hard work out of the picture to give you more time to do nothing extra. People don't realize that it's easy to get the lawn 
of their dreams by simply feeding their lawn a few times throughout the year. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build thick green lawns. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamt of. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action will give your yard the nourishment it needs to help your weak, thin lawn recover. When you feed with Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action multiple times throughout the year, your grass will be greener, stronger, and more resilient. Pick up a bag today. This is a Scott's Yard. Also, Scott's No Quibble Money Back Guarantee states, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. This is a Scott's Yard. Let me ask you this. How different, given that a lot of our jobs are being on the phone for most, if not all of the day, often doing it from our home offices, like Adam said, we, Adam and I are in studio in Bristol, Jeff is there, is it the ballpark, is it other places? How different does it, if really at all, does it feel about how how you do your job? And, and Adam, you've been in the middle of, because your your routine has changed probably less than any of ours because your sport has had its usual sequence of, you know, you, you know, you had a Super Bowl, you had free agency, you've had the draft, and now you're in the time which would typically be a little bit of a little bit of a debtor time until training camp start. What's happened here is that I don't think that my world has changed that much, but the world around me has changed an awful lot. I've got you know my kids home, my daughter going through school at home, you know, my wife doing laundry all day for all the kids that are home, <laughs> uh, you know, taking care of the house. Um I'm I'm trying to figure out how to use Scott, Squadcast or Blue Jeans or or Zoom things that I'm not exactly <laughs> adept in, as you guys know very well, and and so um, but but basically, uh, you know, I'll try to get my Peloton ride in the morning, Woj. I will come into my office and make calls, you know, where I am right now. I'll do Scott Squadcast and podcasts and Zoomcasts and whatever the hell else I'm asked to do, and then and then you rejoin your family. And like I said, I always, I always felt like, okay, you know, you'd be home for a while, I'd be working from home for a while, and it was, it was good for everybody for me to leave for a couple of days. It was good, like that was healthy. Um, and now th- th- you don't get that break, and and it's a different time. It's not good or bad that the break doesn't come. It's just different. Oh no, it's it's, 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 it sounds like you're yeah, saying it's, it's kind of bad, it's bad, Adam. It sounds like you're <laughs> no, saying it's not. not I, you you I'm may not, not be saying, saying that. that. I'm saying that. No, my family is absolutely yeah. sick and tired of me at this point. If, if they could, if they could shoot me in a cannon to Mars, they would do so in an instant. And and it, you know, the job, Woj, and and you and I have been doing a lot of the same thing. The job is no different. We're talking to people. We're trying to find out information. It's just a different type of information than we're used to trying to find out. It's it's much more important. It's substantive. It's historic. Like that's that's sort of how I've been trying to approach this. Uh, my job right now is to chronicle a sport during a historic period of time, and and to really try and relay to uh, a a country of of people who were anywhere on the continuum from 
sad to desperate to hopeful what the reality in this particular sport is and how it uh, commingles with all the other sports out there and with all the other things going out there in the country. I mean, you have to, you got to fly at 30,000 feet and, and see not just what's going on in the sport, but how it relates to all the other ones around it. You know, Jeff, you said something when you came to ESPN, I want to say last year, it was two years ago, right? Last year, two years ago, last year. I, yeah, maybe I was two years ago. <laughs> Um, you said something, I think you were on a podcast and, and I had never heard anybody quite crystallize it like this. And it really, I said, yeah, that's exactly it. And I think Adam can appreciate this. The idea of breaking news, Jeff, and what, what breaking news allows you to do to understand your sport. And, And I think the point you were making was, that to break news, you have to be uh, acutely in tune with a million processes that are all going on at once to get to that deal, agreement, uh, trade, hiring, firing, opening of a season, suspending of a season. Go down the line. To, to, to be able to break that news, you have to be fully invested in all the steps that lead up to a decision being made and that for someone to say, why is it important to have something first or to break news? And I thought your point, because it's it's the process that gets you there that helps you to understand your world in a way otherwise you may not be able to. And uh, I, I it, it stayed with me since you said that. I don't know if you even you and I have talked about that, but but I thought it was a great way of putting it in context. We we need to understand the world around us. You know, transactions don't happen in a vacuum. They're all part of this greater universe inside of the sport. And, and there, there are a million reasons behind every transaction from what the club is looking for, from what the player is looking for, from how the money got to where it is, from, uh, what, what role the agent played in it, uh, the medical side, all these really compelling little stories. And I, I think the, the more curious you are about those, you can look and say, Oh, who got this first? He, you know, you got it 10 seconds before someone else who cares. No, it, it's, it's about trying to understand the entirety of the sport and how this little puzzle piece fits into a greater puzzle. Yeah. And, and to me, that has really helped in reporting during this time because, you know, when you do that for long enough, hopefully you develop trust in people where they understand that you are not going to try and sensationalize something like them coming back, where you're not going to be breaching trust uh, with information and and that you're going to be someone who at the same time uh, can listen to something and say, uh, hey, have you thought of this, this and this and how it all fits in? And, and in the end, you want to be the person who ultimately writes that story first, that your sport is coming back. And when it's coming back, uh, but you want to do it the right way and you want to have gotten the information uh, through the through the channels that you have spent years, hopefully building up. Let me ask you about that, Adam, and, and the idea of in modern times at ESPN anyway, you've been the first, you really were the first dominant newsbreaker at ESPN in your sport 
and made it at a time, I think, where you combined television with it and, and, and television became a big part of news breaking. I mean, when you came from the NFL Network, I, I, I saw you say this one. I don't, again, I don't know if you and I ever even talked about this, that the thought was you wouldn't even necessarily be on TV a lot. It was more of a digital job. And I think you started breaking news in a way you were breaking it. And we got to get them on. We got to get them on. And, and it becomes, uh, it, it, right. It becomes this monster that you've got to feed all the day, all day, every day. Well, when I took the job at ESPN, you know, basically, um, my situation at NFL Network unfolded in a way that I, I never understood and, um, appreciated. And so I really had no choice but to go to ESPN. Oddly enough, it was really, um, the only move that made sense at that time for the way that the NFL network handled that. And when I took the job, I took the job without much of a description of what I would be doing. I didn't know exactly what I would be doing. And and the story that I told is, and this is true, is that about two months after I was hired, I was hired, they put together a deal in April. They announced it in June. Um, Seth Markman, uh, called me and said, you're going to be doing Sunday NFL countdown. I'm like, what? <laughs> I am? And he said, yeah. And I said, I, I had no idea. Is it you and Mort? And I'm like, holy moly. Like, I took the job. It shows you how dumb I am and how naive I am. Who takes a job without knowing exactly what they're going to do? But that was the spot that I was in at that point in my life where I didn't have the opportunity to be particularly choosy. Uh, in fact, Jeff, the funny part about it is that Major League Baseball, the network called me and said, asked me if I wanted to transition to become yeah, a baseball you know, you know, Yeah, you know what's great? They did that because uh, I I went in to interview with them, and clearly they thought I sucked. <laughs> they, they said to me, I, I – Well, they, 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 no, no, no. This was, this was in 2009, so I think you might have been in high school. <laughs> no, I remember going in, and I remember them saying to me, you don't, you don't break enough news. Yeah. That... Yeah, well, <laughs> what, yeah, okay. So anyway, so the point is that I, got, I took the job at ESPN really without knowing what it was going to be. And, it, you know, I, I was where I took it, the job doing. I, I thought it was going to be like they were starting you laugh at this, they were starting a 9 a.m. sports center. And I was going to be on the 9 a.m. sports center giving some NFL news at that point in time and doing some ESPN.com news at that point in time. And, and it just sort of evolved to where it is. So um, – what was the point of the question? I've lost track. I mean, you've been droning on so long. I don't remember the question, Adam, but, but, but I do, I, I do remember this though. I do remember this. Passon taught me a very valuable. Oh, are you going to tell the story? Uh, he was an intern at the, stu- oh, you were an intern this. at the, yeah, I'm going to tell it. You were an intern at the, you were an intern at the star ledger. I was uh, working at the Bergen record in Northern Jersey a uh, couple papers that overlapped in Jersey and competed with each other. And I was a general columnist, so I was doing a little bit of everything, NFL, baseball, NBA, big time college, uh, th- those things. And there was a player, the New York Giants had just drafted Will Allen from Syracuse. And there was a an incident, I believe he was robbed at gunpoint, it was not. It was not at gunpoint, actually. And uh, be, somebody, somebody no. went up to Will Allen oh. and sprayed lighter fluid on him and threatened to threatened to throw a match. Ooh, at that's him. what it was. That's what it was. Right. And so he had not done an interview about this. He had been drafted. Yeah. It must have happened shortly after the draft. And I guess I found out 
I don't know what I found out. I just remember I drove up to Syracuse to try to find him. I guess maybe I knew he was working out up there. And I found him. I don't know if I called him ahead of time and got his number. Anyway, I just remember I found him in, um, I think, like the weight room in Manly Fieldhouse. It was around 7 o'clock at night. I interviewed him. He told me the entire story. It was, and in that marketplace in New York, he had all the, you know, the tabloids and it's funny. You thought probably less about the, even the national guys. Then it still felt like a regional business. And so I get the interview with him. I'm probably done with it about seven 30. And I'm thinking I can go back to my hotel and write it right now, which is what I should have done. And I said, I'm going to try to get home. My kids were uh, either one of them was, we might've just had a baby. This was in 2001. My, my so son. I think then. Yeah. My daughter. Yeah. So he was, it was, my daughter was young, whatever it was, there was something going on home. My, I said, I'm going to drive home tonight. I will write this story tomorrow. Now this was a newspaper. It wasn't like I could put it on the web at 10 AM. It didn't work that way. If you, if you didn't write it that night, it waited till the following morning's paper. Yeah. And so I said, Oh, no one's getting this guy. No one's getting Will Allen. I, I'm going to drive home. I've got a day with this. This guy, I remember I said to him after, I remember, Hey, you're not doing any other interviews. No, I'm not doing any other interviews. Like, you know, until of course, Passon shows up at about, well, I don't know, maybe nine o'clock that night somehow. And, and anyway, I hold this, I don't write it. And then I pick up the star ledger the next day. <laughs> Holy, <laughs> I got beat on this and I was despondent. And I remember I wrote a piece for the next day and tried to, I don't know, advance it further. It didn't matter. And it was a lesson. You do not sit on anything. You get that. Yeah. thing written you get it out and he taught me a great uh jeff taught me a great that snot nosed little intern That's at the good. star ledger who looks like he's about two yeah. years older than then it was 20 years ago yeah. but 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 i will always remember I, that i, be, I, be, I believe i believe you referred to many. me talking to our mutual friend mike vaccaro is uh who is that little <laughs> passing right yeah. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing ass. is, That's I was actually exactly in Syracuse, said, yeah. unbeknownst to Woj, I was in Syracuse at the same time, parked outside of Will Allen's apartment. I got to Syracuse. I drove from Newark. I think it was like a three hour or so drive. And uh, I sat in his apartment parking lot from noon until about mm-hmm. nine o'clock when he got home. I ordered a pizza to my car. That's how desperate I was. I ordered a pizza to my car waiting for him. And I didn't have a smartphone either. So I remember sitting there on my Nokia phone playing that little snake game. Do you guys remember that? Like, this is like old school cell phones here. Like, it was a long and desperate day. And I almost, I almost phoned it in. But finally, I was like, you know what? I'm pot committed at this point. He's going to come home at some point. And he came home, I think, right after he talked to you. <laughs> it's funny you say that. And, Adam, you've been in the business uh, longer than past and about as long as me. You're, you're only a little bit older than well, me. Well, hold on. How many years have you been in the business, Roach? Well, I think you're a year or two older than me. We've both yeah. been working in it since college. So I assume you've been in the business a little bit longer than me. 30 years. You graduated. Yeah. 30 yeah. years. I yeah. graduated in 89. Been in the business since yeah, ninety. Yeah, so I graduated in ninety one. So you were already gainfully employed at a big pack. I was in Waterbury for four years, man. Then Fresno. Where'd you? Yeah, where did I, you I start? I was getting, my, I was getting my master's degree and then starting at the Rocky Mountain News in Denver Privileged. in nineteen ninety. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, you know, 
really, really <laughs> oh, yeah. paid your dues there. After hundreds of rejection <laughs> letters over two years, hundreds. Yeah, yeah. But think, think of this. People talk about what changed the business and what changed reporting. More than anything, the cell phone did. The cell phone, I mean, when I started mm-hmm. covering, even as a columnist, if you didn't catch it, you, you were afraid to leave your desk at home to go take the garbage out because somebody would call you back and you'd miss them. And then if they left the office, you weren't, you probably maybe weren't going to call them at home and you weren't going to get the guy till the next morning. It's, it's the cell phone, email, text messaging changed. I think Twitter, I think Twitter changed it. I think the immediacy, Adam, of being able to get, yeah, Twitter was a vehicle to report it, but how quickly you could advance a story with a text message. Uh, or with a phone that somebody yeah. had on them versus the fact if they weren't sitting at their desk. Yeah, but pre-social media, pre-social media, Woj, it was, it was going to be on the, it was going to be on the newspaper. Like how many times do you follow a big story? And you just waited for the morning. Like that was my big thrill as a newspaper writer, following a big story and you'd wait for the morning paper to hit at your doorstep and you hear the thud and you go outside to go grab it and, and, and see mm-hmm. if the other paper in town had your story right. or you got them or they got you or whatever it was, right? No, that's right. Yeah. That's how that's old how I, I mean. I, yeah. you know, I'm at the end of that generation, I think, but my father worked at a newspaper for 42 years. So I, I am, uh, that's in my blood. And, and it's, it's always very interesting to me yeah. to see there's almost a divide in reporters. And I'm at the end of the generation where the desirable job coming out of college was a newspaper job. I, I, I say this now when I went to Yahoo. Back in 2006, I did so with the idea that I would spend a couple of years there and then go write a general column in a newspaper somewhere. I, I clearly knew where the business was was going. Uh, I, I, I that was my goal. I wanted to be yeah, exactly, to be exactly. Like when Woj, that's what I wanted. No, to when Woj came on, we all board to be Woj at Yahoo and started writing NBA stuff. I thought to myself, what is he? doing focusing on one sport he's so good at covering everything is he just doing this to get his feet wet and then him and dan wetzel are both gonna write general columns and you know you talk about seminal moments changing the business the cell phone for sure one of them twitter for sure one of them but single sport specialization which is something that that you guys have been at the absolute forefront of that changed things from my generation, probably more than anything, because that is the. Mine was accidental. Mine was accidental. Whoa, what, what led you to leave a, a general sports column, which was the goal of so many of us to go take on a singular sport? Like, why'd you do that? It's funny, Jeff says 2006. Uh, I think 2006, 2007 is when I went to Yahoo. I remember my last column at the Bergen Record was yes. that Mets Cardinals. And game Chavez. seven, it was at uh, ND. Uh, Chavez, did he make wall, a catch yep. up against the wall? Reached. Right, that was the last column I wrote. So whatever year that was, two thousand seven, I suppose. But well, you're right, and we all grew up idolizing uh, the big city columnists. They oh, they yeah. they were the stars of the paper. They got all the best assignments. They made the most money, and at that time, it started to feel like the. Fu- for me, it started to feel like I need to get to the internet. I, I had a couple chances to leave the Bergen record to be a columnist that would be considered bigger markets, bigger places. And I said, I don't think my next move is to another paper. 
I should get on the internet. And I just got, I was fortunate that Dan Wetzel and Dave Morgan at Yahoo, uh, they had been talking about finding a way maybe to get me in there and what kind of a job would it be. And they called me one day and said, what about covering the NBA? And I said, well, let me think about it. Hmm. And I called them back pretty quickly and I said, yeah. And I remember he said to me, remember Dave Morgan said, listen, I distinctly, I don't care who's getting the mid-level exception for the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't care about that stuff. I just want you to come in, write well, tell yep. stories. If you get some news, that's fine. And it, it, But it became a time where Twitter came, I guess, a couple of years. I got on it maybe a year later. I got on it the night of the draft because I was getting this information. And I'm like, I can't post this on the site. It's going to be – it's a vapor. It's gone. Let me start tweeting out some of – like tra- it wasn't just picks – trades that were happening. How can I get this out? And other people were on Twitter, but you're right. At that time, it felt like the generalist was being, that wasn't the future. Specialization was uh, the future. And then news, the pursuit of news became, because free agency became bigger. LeBron goes to Miami in 2010. That changes. it, It really changes free agency and how we covered it, looked at it. And so, um, well, well, yeah. that, 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 that's a lot of foresight on your part because I never saw the specialization coming. It just sort of happened with me. Like I didn't see that coming. I, I wanted to be that general sports columnist and that was elusive for me. And I could never really become that. And the first and, time and, I had a chance to become that, I, I, at that point, then I specialized, I actually went to NFL Network. Yeah. And, and at that time, I had done the general column for over 10 years, 10 years in Bergen. I was in Fresno. I wrote a general column. I had gone to the world. I had been so fortunate to cover the Olympics and World Series and Super Bowls and um, Final Fours. And I had done all those things. And I was, I liked the idea of having one place, one area that I could become uh, really focused on. I loved basketball. I had a, you know, I had some sources. Like I knew covering New York, covering the Knicks and Nets. I knew Jeff Van Gundy. I knew Byron Scott. I knew Rod Thorne. I knew Jason Kidd. (laughs) I knew like one agent. Um, I knew like one agent. And, and so then you start to, uh, the, the more new, and you guys found this, the more news you broke, Uh it was sort of the chicken and the egg. Like you need sources to break news, Uh but you need to break news to get sources. And so, but, but over time, people started to notice you more because you were around the news. And that started to get some calls returned or people to uh, maybe take time for you that otherwise – and Jeff knows this at Yahoo. You had to oh, explain yeah. what Yahoo was to people. What we mean, yeah, like it was a place they got their email from. It was a huge portal. But like the older general managers or the older agents in the league, I didn't even spend time with them because I couldn't explain yeah. to them what Yahoo was. But the younger guys all knew. Huh. They got their email there. They got – they checked the weather there. You looked at your entertainment news. You checked your stocks. I don't know who had stocks, but, uh, but which is, which is, but, which but is you knew what Yahoo because was. now if you get your Yahoo and, on, um, or your email on Yahoo, you are one of the old guys. Like the fact, like when I tell people that I still have a Yahoo email, they're yeah. like, why? You know, I still have an AOL like, email account. No, no, you, you still, no, no, you still keep the Yahoo email. <laughs> For the emails that you can't have on the ESPN servers, right? <laughs> Jeff, so you got to keep AOL email we addresses. I feel like have gone from being totally out of style to the really cool vintage clothing. 
Like, I feel like you are wearing Jordan 1s really? when you have an AOL email address. Like, the fact that you have stuck through it through all of these years, and there are so many better options, yeah. and you're still like, you know what? No, I love my comfortable Jordan 1s. Yeah. It stinks. It stinks. I don't even, like, it just, you know, I have it set up to just filter into my iPhone, but I don't even go on there at all. Like, it's just, it's just set up like an old email account. <laughs> don't do it. Stick really with it. Do not email. throw away the vintage email. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like the Nokia well, phone. Like, if you were to be that. given one, one of these days, you would be very, very, like, reminiscent about it and enjoy it. And then you try to text someone and to, and to hit a letter C, you'd have to hit the number one three times. And you'd be like, what is going on here? How did we do this? Like, how did this work back in the day? Well, we could go on all day. I know Adam has to change the helmets on his bookcase. I know he's got to put a new I'm, – I'm, I'll be anxious. We'll all be excited to see what helmet he puts in. But uh, Adam Schefter, the host of the Adam Schefter podcast on ESPN, wherever you get your podcast. Jeff Passan, who is now the star of SVP, rapper, rapper extraordinaire. You know, we this, this thing's called Squadcast. It's like a it's like a Zoom, and you have to type your name in when you go in. So I see Adam, I see I typed in Woj, and I see Passin O O L Dirty Passin. <laughs> for, for those who weren't watching SVP the other night, I think that's what Stanford Steve uh, dubbed you when he tweeted out the video of you uh, doing your your Wu Tang Clan. If we have if we have a return engagement here, I will I will actually wrap. Why don't, why don't we go out? You know what? You give us the Wu Tang Clan on the way out, and that'll be our goodbye to the Woach Pod. It's uh it's yours, old dirty passing. Uh, do Do you want me to like actually wrap it here, or do Do you want me to to speak the lyrics into existence? You can speak. Rap you it, can speak, You can speak the lyrics on our. Hold way on, Shefty wants me to rap. Yeah, of course. Come on, man. All right, here we go. Abomatomically, Socrates' philosophies and hypotheses can't define how I be dropping these mockeries. Lyrically perform armed robbery, flee with the lottery, possibly they spotted me. Battle scar, show guns, explosion when my pen hits, tremendous. Ultraviolet, shine blind forensics, I inspect you through the future, see millennium, killer bees, sold 50 gold, 60 platinum. Oh, Jesus, nobody, nobody's Damn. ever going to listen to this podcast <laughs> again. <laughs> why the hell did you go into baseball reporting and not rap? I wonder why. <laughs> Guys, uh, thank you, Jeff Passan, Adam Schefter. Uh, a lot of fun, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Woach. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Be well. See you, Jeffy. The Woach Pod's coverage of The Last Dance is brought to you by State Farm. When you want to get the real deal like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Woach Pod. You can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe out there. We'll catch you again soon.